is Your Working Life, a podcast that provides you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. I'm a speaker, an author, and an executive coach. And today, I'm delighted to welcome Joanne Lublin to the show. Joanne will discuss how working moms navigate the emotional and professional challenges involved in juggling their managerial careers and their families. Joanne, welcome. Thanks so much for having me, Caroline. Oh, I'm really excited to dive into this conversation. And you know, your book is called Power Moms, How to How Executive Mothers Navigate Work and Life. And this is such an important topic. I am not a mom. However, I am an aunt and I am surrounded by incredible women who are raising children and I see that the struggles are unique and real. So let's let's start with a level set. How are executive moms different today from let's even go back, maybe their trailblazing baby boom generational moms. You know, the challenges and lessons may be slightly different. But the reality is, it's tough. Unfortunately, that is still the case. But frankly, it's a lot easier than it was for the baby boom generation, of which I'm a member. At least now we can be proud and openly talk about our needs, our wants, and our caring for our children on the job. It was kind of socially verboten to even have photos of your children on your desk for many of those boomer moms that I interviewed for this book. And that was really the point I was trying to find out. What had gotten better? What had stayed the same? What, if anything, had gotten worse for women in their 30s and 40s as they were moving into motherhood and then either at the same time or later becoming executives? Was it really all that different than the baby boomers? And what I found was it had gotten a lot better for these women in their 30s and early 40s, but lots of challenges still remain. And frankly, it will continue to be the case until the word working dad rolls off our tongue as easily as the word working mom. Yeah. Yeah, you're you're so right. You know, it it's fascinating to me, and and I also want to set some context here because at the time when when your two children were born, you were working at the Wall Street Journal. So very rare to have working moms in that industry. And frankly, you tell me, but you said that navigating that was very unique. And maternity leave had to start four weeks before the baby was due. And you mentioned some other things. Um, so have we, have we made progress that, are, that is making a working or a pregnant mother normalized in the world of work? I think it has totally become normalized. The problem is we're one of the very few industrialized nations in the entire world where the government does not mandate paid parental leave. And so you have a situation in which it still remains the exception, not the rule, for even women to get paid leave when they give birth, much less the dads. And so until we change the the rules of the world to apply to the United States, things will still remain difficult 
men will still be more hesitant than women to take their fully allotted paid parental leave, even if it's offered. And we will still have to deal with all kinds of unconscious bias issues uh, when parents return to work. Um, the perception, perhaps, particularly in the case of the women, that maybe they are torn in terms of their priorities. Where actually the opposite is true. I found so many of these women that I interviewed for this book for whom parenthood actually made them better leaders, better bosses, better able to, to guide the people that they worked with or worked for them because what they learned from, from motherhood. Ooh, tell us more about that because that's juicy. Well, among other things, you also learn as a new parent to set priorities, to delegate, to multitask. Otherwise, you would never be able to get anything done during those first couple of years of, of parenthood. And that's true, of course, for many men if they're highly involved at the outset of their child's life. But what I think set the women apart from the, even the involved dads was that they also learned patience, they learned to be empathetic. All these are traits that are very applicable in the workplace. But equally important, they learned how to be really good mentors, to be role models in terms of the values that they espouse and felt were important, as well as to be role models in how they behaved, that they wanted the people who they work with or work for them to also emulate. Joanne, it's interesting. I have clients, I have friends, I have family members who have asked employers, their employers, to perhaps have a reduced schedule as they were coming back from maternity leave, or even a, a modified schedule when they when they were back and their their respective children were in daycare, for example. And many of them met with resistance from their employer. Why is there that stigma that women requesting a, a flexible schedule or a reduced schedule are not going to do as impactful work? I think that's just wrong and, and inaccurate. I think women can do extraordinary work, and we need to look at the duration that they spend at work differently. What are your thoughts? I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more, but that's exactly the kind of subtle and in some cases, unconscious sex bias yeah. that still exists in the workplace. In my own case, when I was pregnant with our daughter, I did ask if I could come back on a reduced schedule after her birth, and I was turned down. I proposed a four-day schedule for which I was willing to take a 20% cut in pay, and uh, while you know, I thought this made a lot of sense. There really wasn't any precedent mm. for it at the Wall Street Journal. So I returned to work full time. I had two children under four years old. I was going absolutely nuts. But then both my bureau chief changed and the managing editor changed. Both of them were married to, to working women. And in the case of the bureau chief, uh, Al Hunt was and is still married to Judy Woodruff. Um, and they already were parents. And so I was asked to repropose this idea. Not only was I granted the four-day schedule, but they gave it to me at full pay. Mm, okay? Nice. No cut in benefits, no cut in pay. And when I interviewed Al Hunt for Power Moms for my book, you know, many years after this happened, I said to him, you know, why did you guys give me such a juicy deal? 
His answer was, well, we were afraid that if we didn't do it, you would quit and go work for a competitor. Uh And this light bulb went on. And I suddenly realized so many of us under, particularly women, undervalue our worth, undervalue how much our employers actually think we are significant players. And we don't then leverage that value to our own advantage when we're trying to get something that we really need to bring some kind of sanity into our lives, which is also one of the most striking differences between the women in the baby boomer generation and the younger wave that I reported about in the book. When boomers didn't like where they worked because it wasn't family friendly, you could go work for another unfamily friendly workplace. There weren't a lot of options. Whereas women nowadays, they can vote with their feet, either go work for someplace else where they really do walk the talk, or in many of the cases of those younger power moms, they started their own businesses where they could set the rules of engagement. They could create the corporate culture that they wanted that was more family-friendly, more parent-oriented. Love that. Love that. Know your power, know your value. You know, it's interesting though, Joanne, I I think that you'll agree with this because I read it in your book. Women are still self-inflicting this this guilt. You know, can I do enough for my family? I've got this high-powered job. And you write proven remedies for working mother guilt. So share some of those with us. I'm sure the women around the world listening would really appreciate that. I think it's probably the most important chapter in the book. It's called Dumb Working Mother Guilt. And the idea for that chapter came from one of the boomer moms who actually was someone I had interviewed for my first book called Earning It. And her one of the 10 hacks was one that came from her. And her hack was, you know, when it's 6 or 6.30 and you're finally sitting down to dinner, with your partner, your husband, your wife, and your children, don't give yourself a big guilt trip over the fact that, OMG, you know, we're not eating till real late again. Celebrate the fact that you're actually having dinner on a weeknight with your family. And it gets back to that whole notion that think about life as the glass half full, not the glass half empty. I think that's a very important hack. I think another important hack is this notion of practicing self-care. The idea that taking care of ourselves is not selfish, because if we don't take care of ourselves, then how can we ever take care of the other people in our lives? And I I think a third hack is to, if you work somewhere where you have a fairly generous vacation policy, i.e., two or three weeks a year. Imitate what one of the younger power moms did who had three very young sons. She basically took three vacation days every quarter and it was a mommy day with one of her sons. And the son got to choose what it is he wanted to do. Sometimes it was, you know, go to a playground or go to an amusement park or go to a children's museum, but they got to choose. I did something similar when we were living in London and our kids were little and I took a vacation day, you know, I didn't do it every quarter. I just did it once a year. And the first time I offered it to our son who was seven, I said, okay, what are we going to do for your very special mommy day? 
And he said, we're going into the toy store. And London had this huge, very famous toy store. We spent eight hours in the toy store, but you know what? It was worth every second. Oh, that's great. And a lovely memory, I can tell. Joanne, we'll be right back after a quick break. I'd like to tell you about a special offer. If you want to bring your podcast to life or up your podcast game, you can get up to two months of free podcasting service with Libsyn using my special code CDHWORK. The Libsyn team will get your podcast on Apple and Spotify and give you access to critical stats and all the support you need to sound your best and grow your show. Use my special code CDHWORK. the right speaker for your event is a tremendous responsibility. You need a speaker who will work within your budget and engage your audience. Whether you're looking to retain or grow top talent, create a healthy workplace culture, or prevent burnout in your organization, I can create customized content to help you recharge, reignite, or reinvent your career. Let's talk about how I can help you achieve your special event goals. Connect with me at carolinedowdhiggins.com. You introduced in the book a beautiful new uh, catchphrase called work-life sway. So say more, and and why is it different and better than work-life balance? A very, very important topic, and thank you so much for bringing it up. I became so enamored of this concept of work-life sway, which I'd never heard of, that when I submitted the manuscript, that was going to be (laughs) uh, the subtitle of the book. It was going to be called Power Moms, Secrets of Work-Life Sway from Two Generations of Executive Mothers. The publisher said, great title, but the subtitle's got to go. No one will have any idea what work-life sway is. And she was right, because I had never heard of the concept. I certainly knew from reporting my first book that work-life balance was not uh, something anyone could possibly achieve. And in fact, the one chapter in that book about working mothers was called Manager Moms Are Not Acrobats. And that was a quote from the mom who gave me the idea of how to ditch working mother guilt. But it was one of those younger power moms who introduced me to this concept. And the idea is we understand that at times we have to be 110% committed and devoted and focused on work. But life intrudes, and that can be anything, not just the crying baby. It can be the water heater overflowing, the dog barfing on your lap in the middle of the Zoom call. Whatever it is, if you need to, you sway out of work mode into life mode, and you put 110% of yourself into life mode until you have an opportunity to go back the other way. And in swaying from work to life and life to work, we do it without guilt. And the example that younger power mom gave to me was she was at the office late one afternoon when a video clip popped up on her cell phone, and it was the nanny letting her see her toddler son take his first few steps. 
She was absolutely thrilled to be able to see that live, but she wanted to be there. So she left work soon after and doesn't live that far from her office. And so she was home pretty quickly after that to be in life mode with the toddler. I'm sure later that night, she went back to being focused, if need be, on completing the work task. I thought that was a fabulous idea, and I hope everyone can can think about it and applying it to their own lives. Mm, I love it. That's a great story. So, Joanne, the, the reality is we're seeing women getting pregnant later than they might have done 20 or 30 years ago. It's not unusual for um, women in their late 30s or even early 40s to get pregnant for the first time. Many women are also experiencing fertility challenges because they're focusing on their career first and then looking to get pregnant and have a family. But how do you navigate the professional advancement, wanting to grow your career, looking for um, opportunities for promotion, When you're in the whirlwind of either trying to get pregnant or raising little ones, because that's a very vulnerable time often for women. Well, I think, as I was saying before, it's important to find a workplace where there is understanding about the conflicts and the needs, not just of working moms, but of working dads, and where they are promoting the idea that you can, with support, advance your career. And so there are several companies that I feature in the last chapter of the book that I felt went above and beyond in terms of assisting working parents. One of whom is American Express. And what they instituted was a parent concierge, a new parent concierge, who was available when individuals were trying to conceive, during their pregnancy, when they were on leave, when they were thinking of coming back, available on a 24-7 basis, and therefore dealing and having you know a place to go to. There are also now companies that do nothing but advise companies about how to ease the transition when someone is leaving for newborn leave and when they're making the transition back. And they're educating management and they're educating the individuals about how to make it possible to do some of these things. Also, some of the companies that I wrote about in the book have a phased return to work where they not only let you come back part time for several months, but paid full pay during that reduced schedule. I think it's really important to push for some of those benefits, but to also recognize you're not alone in needing some of this assistance. And so join forces with like-minded individuals, whether it's through an employee resource group for moms or mothers or women or families or caregivers. There is definitely safety and strength in numbers. What I, what I love about that list in the book, I think it's also an opportunity for women to help their employers understand, look, this is, this is cutting edge. This is valuable. This is an attractive culture. Because to your story earlier, you know, if they want to retain top talent, and in particular top women talent, companies really need to adapt. And my perception is many are 
and some are slow and they're they're losing great talent. Has that been your observation as well? Totally. And in this column I recently wrote for the Wall Street Journal's Workplace Report, I pointed out that there's now this groundswell of demand by women who are moving into leadership roles, partly coming from them, for menopausal care coverage, which has always been a topic yeah. that you never talked about at work, much less talk about, you know, difficulty getting pregnant. And yet, you know, the, the women who are entering menopause are offer often at the peak or coming near the peak of their ambitions, and companies don't want to lose those women. They want to be sensitive to the needs of people at all stages of their careers, and therefore they're going to have to pay attention to the menopausal care needs too. It's essential. I, I'm I'm encouraged to hear that. So, Joanne, I want to pull a thread. You and I had a, a chat about this before the show started today, and you shared that you and your husband had a marriage contract when you first got married. Tell us more about that and what that looks like. And is that something you would encourage our listeners to consider? I think I would encourage listeners to consider having a frank and often conversation about what your priorities are. You may not have to go the formal route of putting it in writing, but in our case, we were two journalists who were getting engaged. We both had ambitions. I wanted to keep my name after we got married. He didn't like that idea. Uh, I knew that I would probably have to move to different parts of the country, much less the world, to advance my journalism career. He obviously felt the same way. We also thought we might want to have children. So we essentially threw all this into a big memo that we prepared for an attorney and drew up a marriage contract that provided, among other things, that we would alternate whose career took priority in terms of where we live. So he moved to California to follow me. I moved to Chicago to follow him. He moved to Washington to follow me when I was pregnant with our first child. Uh, and then the agreement fell apart because I got offered a promotion to London. I said, I guess we can't go because it's your turn. And he said, are you nuts? But the irony is all the things that we wanted in the contract were put in a very legalistic language, except for one sentence that he wrote. And that sentence was, Household duties shall be shared equally, but not necessarily cheerfully. Ah, <laughs> that is awesome. Well done. Well done. So, Joanne, you've done such research for this book. And how do you feel about the future of working moms and dads after publishing the book? Are, are you hopeful do you feel like we're the change is, is starting to really become critical mass? I'm extremely hopeful, and I'm extremely hopeful mostly because the men are starting to get it. You're actually seeing court cases where men are challenging the fact that they're not getting as much parental leave as the birth mother. Um, there's a, a court case pending now against one of the bigger law firms. And so the men are recognizing that they too can be better leaders if they're highly involved in parenting and in raising their children. And therefore, they are becoming very strong and outspoken allies of women in the workplace, whether they're parents or not. But at the same time, companies also are empowering their employee resource groups, giving them budgets, giving them, in some cases, paid staff, giving them the ear of senior management. 
so that individuals don't have to fight their battles alone. They can join forces and their voices will be heard. And if they're not heard, they can go off and work somewhere else or start their own company. Well, and that's what I love, right? The book is about empowerment and we have choices. And and I'm I'm cognizant that you really focus on power moms and daughters in the book, but you you've got some significant opinions about raising sons as well. As as we wrap, tell us about that. What do we want our our young men to learn as they're growing up and getting ready for adulthood? We want our young men to learn that when women win, men win too. It's not a zero-sum game. There was this great example in the book where this younger power mom had just become a vice president at a very young age, went to her first luncheon meeting with all the other vice presidents. They're all men. She's the only woman in the room. And one of the older guys leans over and says to her, hey, can you see why it's taken so long for them to bring lunch? At which point, one of her young male colleagues piped up and said, That's not her responsibility, which, of course, the older guy thought it was. If you're so hungry, why don't you go figure out where the lunch is? And the older man stomped out. So I said to her, was this guy one of your BFFs or what? And she said, we were good colleagues, but more importantly, he was the son of a working mom. Ah, there you go. That's it. That's it. Wow. Joanne, I have learned so much from you. I'm a big fan of your writing. Love the new book. It's called Power Moms, How Executive Mothers Navigate Work and Life. And of course, it's available on Amazon and all major book retailers. But if you would be so kind, please tell this audience how they can continue to follow your writing after the show. Sure. I have a website, which also gives you six easy links to not just Amazon, but other online retailers to order the book. My website is just my name, joannelublin.com. And my website also has a whole bunch of video clips of me talking about both books, Earning It and Power Moms. You can also reach out to me on LinkedIn. I never ignore my LinkedIn messages. I love corresponding with people on LinkedIn, especially when I hear from complete strangers who tell me how reading Power Moms changed their lives forever. Whenever I'm down in the dumps, I go back and read some of those messages and it makes my day. Well, it should, Joanne. I am deeply grateful for you, for your wisdom and expertise, and thank you for spending time with me on the show today. You're welcome, Caroline, and thanks for having me. Your Working Life is now available on all major podcast platforms, and I'd love to hear from you, so let me know how we're doing. You can find me at carolinedoubthiggins.com. And a special shout-out to my wonderful podcast colleagues, Laura Deck, Executive Director of Publicity and Communications, and Claire McInerney, Executive Producer. Thank you for making this show awesome for our global audience. We now have listeners in 18 countries around the world. I'm Caroline Dowd-Higgins. Thanks for listening.